with us. Happy to have you here. Uh, Pastor Ben is away on vacation, spending time with his family. Um, I am included in family, but I wasn't invited on the vacation. Um, so I was a little hurt by that. But uh, He'll be back uh, this week, but it's inc- it's a great opportunity that he has to be with his family. Um, and again, just seeing him minister within his own home and the importance that has for him. Um, so just pray that you, he would be safe as he returns. Uh, I'm always excited to have the privilege to preach. I'm thankful that Pastor Ben allows me to, and some of you are okay with it when I do. Others of you, like Dennis, like to make fun of me when I do. Uh, I'm always going to pick on you. I'm always going to pick on them. Uh, but it's incredible to be able to open up God's Word and to be able to share it, um, especially in a room full of believers. Um, just the incredible privilege that it is that we have this opportunity in this country um, to be able to open up the Word, to study it, to share it, to when we leave uh, from this building and go out to our picnic later, to have conversations about what it is that we learned, um, to be able to have conversations with each other about these things. And this morning, um, my heart has been really heavy in this past week, and uh, my wife knows this very well. She asked me late last night, she said, you re- your heart is really heavy right now, isn't it? Um, she said, you don't usually act like this. I was just a little, I don't know what the right word is, um, but you could tell I was very troubled in a way. I was wrestling and wrestling with, and I had some, um, some other men uh, knowing and praying for me as I was trying to seek what it is that God would have me share um, this morning. And what I found is after I wrote about three or four different sermons, kind of throughout the process, I found that mu- much of them go together um, incredibly well. And it was just an incredible time of, God, why won't you let me just focus in on one thing and stressed out and stressed all the way through? And then God just says, hey, it's all together. You just got to put it there. Um, so it was an incredible time of study as well. And something that's always been a passion of mine, and one of the reasons that my wife and I have always felt passionate about youth ministry, is the idea of true biblical discipleship within the church. It's an incredible thing because youth ministry can easily become something that is, the guy just likes to hang out with kids, right? It's something that it's very easy to say, the, kid, the guy just doesn't want to grow up. Partially, I don't really want to grow up. I'll always be a little kid, um, and that's good for me. But it's an incredible thing to see multiple generations interacting with one another, sharing what it is that they learned. Because church used to be a family activity, right? It was your kids sit in the pews with you regardless of what age. Every single age group was ministering and hearing the same word of God, teaching and learning the same things. Everything was together. And so when you could go home, the family could interact, right? The dad could say, hey, son, here's what we learned. And they would have those conversations. And now in modern churches, everything is very broken up, very segmented. And young people never have the opportunity to know any of the older men and women in the church. One of the reasons we made the switch for youth group to move into Sunday um, after the morning service was to encourage younger participation within the actual church functioning body so that we're not always split up into two separate churches. And when we look at uh, what we're going to be looking at today, there's a few different texts we're going to look in, but we're going to see that that the Word of God gives us a clear model for discipleship, particularly within the church. Um, But I want to start off in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 building a foundation for what it is that we're going to see here in a few moments. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's very familiar to a lot of you. You've probably memorized uh, verses 16 and 17. Um, But we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to go from verses 10 to 17. And before we get going, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the incredible opportunity that each and every one of us has to 
to be able to live again on this day, that we, we can recognize and honor you for who you are, that we can sing songs of praise um, corporately and, and give you all of the praise and glory that you so justly deserve. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you um, for the song that we heard this morning and understanding more fully today that it is only through grace and your grace that we are to be saved. And Father, we thank you so much for that blessing. And I pray that as we open up your word today that we would truly understand uh, the depth of your word, that we would understand it's the foundation for everything that it is that we do, and we would truly learn to appreciate this incredible gift in the Bible that you've given to us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. This week I, I learned a lot and more um, fully understood and was more thankful probably than ever for the Bible in general. The fact that we have a complete Bible. Um, it's something that we take for granted. It's something that some of us, when we're asked, um, do you have your Bible? We have to go into the, to our bedroom underneath our bed somewhere and, and dust it off a little bit. Some of us, if you're like me, have about seven or eight, and you only know where about two or three of them are at a time. Um, but you know you have them somewhere. Um, but it's something that the idea, and we sang about this this morning, the Word became flesh. This Word that we see in the Scripture became flesh through the person of Jesus Christ. And when we're able to look into this Word, this is literally God speaking to us. Have, do we think of it that way all the time? Um, it's something that we see and it's a book, but when we truly understand and believe with everything that we have, that it is God speaking to us in this book, that he took the time to divinely inspire human authors to pen his words. Just how truly incredible that is. And that he passed it down and it's been preserved for thousands of years. Um, when we were with the teens in camp, uh, the speaker talked a lot about internal evidence, about how we can know that the Bible is true. Um, this, the testimony that the Bible gives of itself, but also external evidence of pretty much any time archaeologists find anything seeking to disprove the Bible, they say, oh, okay, never mind. That actually affirms everything that the Bible was saying. Those who set out to disprove it end up affirming it. Um, incredible testimony to God's glory and God's sovereignty in all of this. Um, and as we look here in, in chapter 3, starting off in verse 10, we're going to see uh, Paul writing a letter to Timothy. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. He had already written to him one time previously, obviously in 1 Timothy. And he's writing this letter to him, a young man that, that is going out and he's going to be a leader in the church. He's going to be starting his own church. He's going to endure all of these things. And we see Paul writing this letter in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Paul immediately, he's opening up here in these, this text, telling Timothy that he has done well in following his example. Paul being a mentor, coming alongside a young man, not only just because he's to be a leader in the church, but because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Coming alongside him to mentor him. And in verse 10 he says, Thou hast fully known saying, you've, you've followed my example, and he gives this list of everything, that he's followed the example of Paul regarding doctrine and character and love and patience. And we're going to break some of those down a little bit more as we uh, go on, but Paul is exhorting him and he's encouraging him, saying, you have followed this example. And notice at the end of verse 11, after there's some persecution, it says, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
the Lord delivers us out of persecution. But notice it doesn't say the Lord delivered me from persecution. We all know the story of Paul. We know the terrible things that he had to endure. Um, he listed out himself of being shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned simply for being who he was. Never uh, removed from persecution, but again, the Lord delivered him from it. And so he's starting off with the encouragement to Timothy in verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He reminds him, not only did I suffer, but those who follow God, those who live godly, will also suffer persecution. This, this is no different than what Jesus Christ himself said. No different at all. Verse 13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he's saying, yeah, you're going to endure persecution. This is going to happen. It's a promise. You know it's going to happen. It happened to me. It happened to our Lord and Savior. Why would we think anything else? And in verse 13, he says, But there will be evil men who will deceive and who will be deceived. And so where are we going with this? We're seeing this interaction, and then everything comes around in verse 14 and 15. So in light of this, Paul exhorts Timothy, But continue, continue, thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I love those two verses. I love 16 and 17. It's the one I memorized in school. I also would have loved to memorize 14 and 15. An incredible um, encouragement. He's saying in verse 14, continue in the things that you've learned and been assured of. Paul isn't questioning Timothy's faith. He's not questioning whether he knows right from wrong, whether he knows what the scripture teaches. He encourages him. He's affirming, hey, continue in the things that you have learned. You've learned the scriptures, verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. When we look at that word continue, I always used to, I think of things in terms of Monopoly game a lot. Don't, don't ask me why, I just played a lot of Monopoly when I was younger. Um, and no one wants to play with me anymore, which is kind of sad. Especially not my wife. But this word continue, we look at it and I would always think it's con just continuing. You just stay straight, continue in doing what you're doing. When you do the study in the word continue, it has more of a meaning of remain, abide, stay. That's a key part of this verse. He's saying to continue in the things which thou hast learned. Saying, Timothy, don't go past the scriptures. Don't go past what it is that you've learned. Don't advance on to anything else as you grow older. Don't move past to a higher level of learning or anything. Don't graduate to some sort of philosophy or anything else as we move on. Remain, abide, stay in the scriptures that you've been taught. And he reminds them that you can also trust, not only because of the scriptures, and as we're going to see, God is the author, but at the end of verse 14, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy, you not only learned the scriptures, but you learned them from credible, reliable individuals. And we see who that is. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, again, he's telling Timothy, rem remembering his faith, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So where did he learn these things? From his mother, from his grandmother. 
Timothy wasn't left as a young man wandering off by himself, but from the very beginning, within his home, because of family members, his mother and his grandmother, he had learned the scriptures. They were reliable individuals that would share this and teach them the truth. In Acts chapter 16, we see that uh, Timothy's mom was a Jewish believer. The father, however, was an unbelieving Greek. The father wasn't really around for Timothy. The father wasn't a leader in the home when it came to matters of the faith, because he didn't believe. And we know that one of the main responsibilities, and we'll look at this here again in a few minutes, of the man is to lead his home, to be the spiritual leader within his house. Timothy didn't have this, and I wonder if this is the reason that maybe he was always a little timid, that you continue to always see Paul saying, hey, be courageous, be bold, don't be afraid. You've been given spirit of power and love and a sound mind, and he's telling him that you don't need to be afraid, but I wonder if he had a spiritual male in the home if he would have just been so much more bold and courageous. And it's sad when we look at this and to see someone like this and say, yeah, he turned out okay, right? But how many men without that spiritual leadership don't turn out okay? What a problem it is when you look at statistics now of, of not only are there men that aren't even in the home at all, but when they are, they're not really a part of it. There's no spiritual leadership. What that does to the youth and to young men coming up and so Paul is saying to Timothy, continue in those things that you've learned. You've learned the scriptures from the very beginning. You were raised in a home that taught you the scriptures. And you can trust not only that the scripture is true because God wrote it, but you can also have the reliability of the ones who taught you. What an incredible, incredible blessing it is to have spiritual mothers and grandmothers. I always say that the biggest spiritual influence in my life was my grandma. Whether or not I wanted her to be, or that I always thought she was doing it in the right way that I wanted, which, thank the Lord, it wasn't the way I wanted, because um, I was stupid, right? You guys can say that. You can laugh at that. It's okay. Some of you tell me that anyways. But that an incredible influence that family members can have. So he's, he's saying to continue in these things. Don't leave them. Don't ever graduate past the Bible. There's nothing that's more, more intelligent, nothing that's going to do anything more for you. So stay here. Remain abide. Where else do we always see that word abide? When Jesus is talking, saying abide in me. Staying attached to the vine. Verse 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God is the author of scripture. Even Peter tells us that none of this came by revelation just from any man, the wisdom of any man, but God inspired these men to write these words. It's incredible when you look at this, all the things that it's profitable for. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's why we have this. It's for these things. And why? Verse 7, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Through his word we learn who the creator of the universe is. We learn about God. We learn more about our Lord and Savior when we study this book, when we read it, when we pray and we communicate with him. We have the privilege of this book. But do we take it for granted sometimes and say, man, I didn't really get around to it this month. Maybe next month I'll, I'll be able to do a different study. The God of the universe is always communicating us, to us through his word. 
And I would always get upset and say, God, I continue to pray, for you, pray to you about these things, and it just doesn't ever seem like you're answering. It doesn't seem like you're ever communicating back. Why are you always silent? God isn't silent. He's written everything that we could ever need to know. And I get mad and say, God, why aren't you communicating with me? When have I ever prayed this much? We read through some of the prayers of men and women in the Old Testament, and we see all of these things, and we say, man, if I could just learn to pray like that, maybe God would answer. But it's an incredible gift that we have to be able to have the very Word of God, the same Word that became flesh in Jesus Christ. An incredible thing. And so we see that, that all of Scripture is given by God. We see Paul, a mentor to Timothy, to a young man, right? There, there's a little bit of an age separation. There's a, there's a difference in the spiritual maturity here. And he's giving him the charge of saying, hey, continue in these things. You, you've, you've been gifted by spiritual leaders who have showed you the way, who have taught you the Scriptures. Flip over to Titus chapter 2. We're going to see, um, it's just just one or two pages over, we're going to see a charge and a model for sustained discipleship within the church. Because something that is incredibly important is that the church do what it's been called to do. Modern church uh, says that you don't really need to know anybody. You can come in, show up, leave, and everything's going to be good. As long as the music's entertaining, that's a good church to be at. As long as they do fun things, and when it's hot outside, they have slip and slides for the teens. And that's the purpose of church. Titus chapter 2 is something that, that gives us this model for the sustained uh, discipleship and the continued growth of the church. And something that I feel extremely passionate about, even as a younger man, but it's something that every single one of us need to truly understand in doing what it is that we're called to do. Start in verse 2 of Titus chapter 2. It says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Some of those things sound like the example that, that Paul already mentioned to Timothy, doesn't it? Paul was saying, you follow my example in these things, and sound faith, Paul said doctrine, this love and, and charity. We see in verse 2 what it is that older men in the church are supposed to be. Not because I've said so, not because as a leadership team, someone at some church decided this is what older men in the church ought to be, but because God has said, older men are to be this. And he lists the character of older men. And this isn't just because the older men have tried hard to get to this point. It's not saying, older men, if you try really, really hard for 20, 30, 40 years, look what you can be. But he lists this evidence of older men who have walked with God, who are godly, mature men, who have been sanctified over years and years and growing in their relationship to God and get to a point where this is their very character. I mean, look at this, sober, so sober-minded. They're to be dignified and self-control, sound in faith, being examples of love and patience. That sounds like a pretty good list, doesn't it? The difference, uh, when we look at this, and we're going to see this difference with older men and younger men, but self-controlled, there's a big difference between a young man and an older man when it comes to self-control, isn't there? Younger man says, hey, we can do this, so we just ought to do it. Why not? And the older man says, yeah, I know I could, but so why do I have to? An incredible thing. 
we see this evidence of those who have been sanctified by, by the Spirit, ones who have been walking and being godly, mature men who have walked with God over years and years. My favorite is sound in faith. Older men are to be sound in their faith. You know, we're kind of, we, we live in a time now where we're being intellectual and, and being able to understand and, and reading your Bible and all of these things are kind of looked down upon. It's, well, as long as you feel good about it, that's great. You don't really need to read. I mean, as long as you've experienced God at some point, that's good enough. Well, why would he give us this? Why would he give us the word of God? Men who are sound in faith. Not only do we need men who are, who are sound in their faith, but also we need men that are willing to do what with that? To train the younger men how to do these things. How to be sound in faith. Most of my life I was left floundering, hoping to figure out that maybe when I get older I'll be able to be sound in my faith. I didn't really have that mentor that would come alongside me and say, let's do a Bible study together. Let's look at this. Let me, let me show you how to interpret the Word of God. Let me show you how all of this works together. That was something that I was missing for so long. And I also want to make this point as we continue on that these lists are not lists for pastors, not a list just for elders and those who lead in the church, but this is a list that God has given to each and every man who is a believer in Christ. To be these things. Because we can a lot of times say, well, I'm not a pastor, so I, I don't know if I have to do that. Yeah, you do. It's one of these places that, that I feel extremely passionate about it because when I, when I look at young men in the church and they say, well, I'm not really sure where I fit. Um, those who say that they just want to be a part of a, a church that say, I'm 20-something, it's I want to find a church that's full of just 20-somethings. That's not a church. It's a big, small group. It's an older youth group. The church involves every generation, everybody working together. The body of Christ isn't just one age group. Amen on that one? And so we look at this and we, and we say, man, um, common analogy and one that I've always heard and one that I, I completely agree with it is that, we, that in church we can't allow older men in the church who have been walking with God 20, 30, 40 years, we can't allow them to be content knowing nothing about who God is or knowing the word of God. That cannot happen. You see it in any other walk of life, and you'd look down on it, right? Say, uh, whether it's bricklaying or any other field, so we're just going to stay with bricklaying because this is the example that I heard, and I loved it. Said if you were a bricklayer who's been laying bricks for 20, 30, 40 years, you're probably pretty good at it by now, right? You've been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. You should be good. A young man comes along and is saying, hey, man, I don't know what the name would be in this illustration, but comes up to the older man and says, hey, I'm just starting off as a bricklayer. It's my first day. I'm really excited to be a bricklayer. Can I come alongside you as someone who's done this for 20, 30, 40 years, and you show me how to lay these bricks, how to do it effectively, how to do it efficiently, and how to do it with everything that I have? Oh, I'm not, I'm not a master bricklayer. I don't know anything about bricks. Where would that be acceptable in our culture in any way? Regardless of the profession, there's no area where that would be an acceptable response to say, I don't know anything about that. And you know, it's funny when you give kind of a different example and it's like, yeah, that guy would probably be fired if he didn't actually know anything after 30 years, right? How'd he keep his job that whole time? 
But think of it this way, of a young man who comes up to someone who's been, um, been in the church and been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years to come alongside them and say, would you mentor me in theology and doctrine and church history? Oh, I'm not a pastor, right? That's what you hear. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible school. These are all excuses that we give ourselves, and none of them are valid. God doesn't excuse that. Where, where do you, did you see Paul saying to Timothy in chapter 2, you followed my example by going to seminary and by studying long at the Bible school, by teaching Sunday school classes. It's not there. There weren't seminaries. He wasn't even saying, Timothy, you've been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years, because Christians weren't around that long at that point. But he's saying, you, you've learned the character You've known the scriptures. That's what we're encouraged to do. And so we look at this and we see these examples that older men are supposed to be for younger men. One of the last ones, it says, in charity, so in love. Older men, be examples. And you're supposed to be examples of love. That's a, that's a big example. In Ephesians chapter 5.25, we see this command, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. A godly, mature man who has been following after God and who has been loving his wife as Christ loved the church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years ought to be the example of love for everybody in the church. What that would look like if every church had mature, godly, older men who were perfect examples of loving their wives. All of this is supposed to be a completion. We're supposed to be all of these things, but let's even just say, let's just do one of them and be the example that we should. Husbands, loving your wives like Christ loved the church over a span of 40 years. And a young man sees that and follows after you and says, I've seen your example of how to do that. Please show me how to do this in my own life. Can you imagine where our world would be if husbands loved their wives in this way? The home would look different. The church would look different. Everything would be incredibly different. Older men, be an example for all the church. Don't give yourself the excuse of saying, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a pastor. We're called to be godly mature men, the spiritual leaders of our home. Now that we've talked about men, we're moving to the women now, in case women thought that they were, they were off the hook here. <laughs> he said it, not me. Verse 3, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Older women are to be reverent, not slanderous. Right? We've seen that a lot. We read uh, through the book of James, and we know about the power that the tongue holds. And I firmly believe that, that women are much more capable of both harm and healing with their words. I actually believe that women are generally better speakers than men. Which is how I feel. Mainly because my wife's a lot smarter than me. Okay? Not slanderous. We always hear that 
oh, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites, or I don't go to church because it's all a bunch of gossip. And, and ladies get together and they just talk about one another. An evidence of an older, mature woman who is sanctified is that her tongue is not slanderous and tears no one down. Boy, that one's hard though, isn't it? I'm going to include men in that too, as far as what it is that we say in conversation. It's hard. We, we know that the tongue is a consuming fire. I think is how James calls it. That's a pretty big picture, right? Older women are not to be slanderous. And at the end, teacher of good things. Well, that could mean a lot, couldn't it? But all these things that they're teaching are good. And without a quick and a sharp tongue, we see that if they're teaching these good things, that when she speaks, the word of God actually flows out. That it's not the woman as the source. That the sanctified, godly, mature woman in the church isn't just saying what it is on her own authority, but that she is so committed to the scripture that through the sanctification of, of the spirit and through the word, that she isn't slanderous, that she says positive, edifying things, that she's building up younger women in the church, that she's not talking bad about her husband or about her children or other people's children, but that she's lifting up the body. And when she speaks, this wisdom of God, this wisdom that we see in the scripture is flowing out. And we all know what it's like to know a godly, mature, older man. And we look at that and say, wow, what an example. I want my son to be around that guy. Same goes for, for a woman, an older, mature woman. And we say, man, I, my daughter could just get around her a little bit. Things that she would learn. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That is so important. The end of verse 5, that the word of God may be blasphemed. What would we tend to think would be in this list of things that older women should teach younger women? Is it, is it the theology? Is it the doctrine? Is it all of these extra things? How to teach a Sunday school class properly? To be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Man, we need older women in the church grabbing the younger women and saying, look, I want to show you how to love your husband, how to love your children, how to keep the home And the goal of this is that the word of God not be blasphemed. That's a pretty important indication there, isn't it? If we're not doing those things inversely, then what happens to the word of God? It's blasphemed. It's, it's reviled. There's so many things that it is that we see. And, and I love going through this chapter and being able to see the example that older men and older women are to be. Because we all know older men and older women that fit these characteristics, we say, man, if my child would ever be around these people. And God calls each and every one of us to be that as we walk with him, this isn't something that's done out of our own power, just like the song that Dave and Christina sang. It's by grace. It's not because we worked super, super hard. It's not because anyone's super talented. Encouraging older men 
and older women to seek out younger men and younger women to train them in these things. And for the younger men and women, being willing to actually accept that teaching, seeking out an older man as a young man and saying, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just getting married. I have no idea how to truly love my wife in the way that the Bible is telling me. You've been doing it for 30 years. Please show me how to do this. The relational model of discipleship, seeing all of this, because we can learn a lot from Bible studies and we should still definitely do them, but how much could we learn by doing life together of a younger woman going over to an older woman's house when her husband says something stupid because he's going to, right? Seeing how she responds to him with love. And some of you may say, well, I don't really have anything to offer. I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader in the church. I'm not these things. And say, I don't really know what I have to offer. That deception doesn't come from God. God isn't the one telling you that you as a believer in his son and Christ's work on the cross have nothing to offer. If you're an older man, you come along and say, hey, simply tell the younger man, don't do this. Like, I, I've been there, I, I've done this, don't go down that road, don't do these things, because I know where it goes. An incredible gift to a young man is for the older man to say, hey, I messed up in that way, please don't do this. Letting them know, giving them the warning. And for, for an older woman to come alongside the younger woman and say, if you're waiting for your, for your husband to be worthy of your submission to him, you're going to be waiting a long time. That's not, that's not the reason that we submit to him. We submit to a husband because we're ultimately submitting to Christ. It's so incredible, though, when we see this, these relationships of older men and older women interacting. My, my greatest joy within our church would be when we go out to a picnic and I see older women sitting with younger women, asking them about their lives, what it is that they're passionate about, how it is that they can serve God while they're in their youth or while they're starting their family, saying, hey, I've ministered within our, our home for 30 years. These are, this is how it worked out with our children. I want to help you be able to minister to your children. Or an older man saying, this is how you properly love your wife. This is how you show love to men and women. Seeing everyone interact so that we're not so segmented by age. Paul is reaching out to Timothy as a mentor and saying, you followed my example, as Paul was following the example set by Christ. I want it to be an encouragement that, that, we, that we look at these, these verses and we're able to see all it is that, that God wants us to be doing and that how can the church survive if older men aren't passing down the things that we've learned? Where would the early church have been if, if no one passed down anything? We continue to always see this in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, before we close. It says, and they continued, again, there's that word continued. They remained. They would abide. They would stay steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That wasn't just, just one, one age group. It's not something that they didn't pass down. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. 
It's such an inc incredibly important thing that we understand that our job as men and women in Christ, as we continue to grow in maturity, that we come alongside younger men and women and say, can I please mentor you in the word, in fellowship, show you how to properly love your spouse, how to be a leader, spiritual leader within your own home? We know that it all starts in the home, doesn't it? And God has given his church the charge to be able to, to lead within the home. And that much of what we do, much of our faith, much of our teaching extends far beyond what happens in this room or in the Sunday school class. It's one of the ways that we do that, but extending to the home. And one of the things that we lose a lot is that home. Encouraging men to be leaders in the home, encouraging women to be leaders in their home and with their children as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, God. We thank you that you made it so clear that we are to be discipling those who are, who are younger and less mature than us. We thank you that, that you've given us your word and that we can know that it came directly from you. We know that, that as we read through your scriptures and as we we seek to know and to understand and to memorize and to be able to learn and internalize all it is that you've written to us, that we would make it a point to pass these things down to, to future generations so that we don't, as a country, lose who it is that you are. God, I pray for, for godly, mature men and women within the church to, to rise up and to find younger men and women to mentor, to, to show them the truth of who you are, to show them how to obey what it is that you've commanded, to, to lead within their own homes. God, you've given us the example to be. You, you showed us through your son the, the character that we're to have and that as we, as we continue to pursue you, we, we're pursuing him and we're pursuing holiness and we're continuing to be, to be sanctified through your spirit. God, for younger men and women, I pray that, that they, would be, they would be searching out older, mature men and women to be able to, to mentor them in your doctrine, in, in your word, and to be able to learn how to obey these things that you've commanded us. God, I pray that, pray that our church would be a multi-generational church, one where, where families where families come and they, they open up your word together and they study your word together and, and the child is asking the father, Father, what does this mean? What is this verse talking about? And the, and the dad is able to explain to him and he's able to show the gospel clearly through your word and that we're able to have those conversations to build up your body and to strengthen us and be an encouragement. God, there's so many things in the world that want to take us away from your word. We know that, that your word will either keep us from sin or sin will keep us from your word. God, I pray that you would raise up men and women in this church who would, who would be seeking to make disciples. Father, we're thankful for the work that, that your son did on the cross. We thank you that from the very beginning you've, you've made it clear your plan. We thank you that, that you offer redemption to us through your son, through his shed blood on the cross, taking our punishment placing it upon himself. And God, we thank you that, that he didn't stay dead, but that he rose again on the third day, and now he's, 
He's seated at the right hand. Father, we're so thankful for you this morning. We're thankful for your love. We're, we're thankful for your goodness and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As, as Casey plays, I want to encourage you to take time to think if there's anybody that you could be seeking out to, to mentor or a younger man or younger woman 